Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I have a question for you. How's your prayer life? Are you praying regularly? What and who are you praying for? And how is prayer affecting the rest of your life? I ask because consistent, persistent prayer is a key spiritual habit, a spiritual discipline. Prayer is important to our Christian life and important to our relationship with God and with other people. On most occasions when you pray, you are not just praying about issues that concern you alone, but also others. If you look at the Gospel reading from Luke chapter 18 again, we see Jesus here telling a parable illustrating why it is necessary and important that we keep on praying. To better understand the story, though, we find it helpful, I think, to jump back a little bit in the Scriptures and see the context in which Jesus told this story. Back in Luke 17, the Pharisees come to Jesus and ask Him when the kingdom of God is coming. They, like the disciples asking things along the same lines at other times, were being impatient. You don't know anybody like that, do you? Now, why do you think they ask this? Perhaps what they were experiencing in their lives was not resembling what they believed God's kingdom should be. Do you ever feel that way? <clears throat> do you ever think that there is a huge difference between the life that you are living now with all of the problems and issues that you see and cause and hear about and how you think your life should be lived out as a Christian? Do you feel that there's currently something incomplete about your faith that believes God has not only made you part of His blessed kingdom, but also has assured you that that kingdom itself is your own present possession? Well, I feel that way all the time, in fact. So do you, I expect. Jesus has not yet returned, and so our lives are filled with a mixture of both countless blessings from God and the negative effects of a sinful world that still fall upon us. What we experience as reality now is not how God intended life to be. It is not what He wants us to have. Now, we often criticize the Pharisees when we run across them in Scripture, but in a way, they got this particular issue right. They recognized that there was something wrong with the life as they knew it. It was not godly and satisfying in spite of their best efforts to fix it. They knew that the kingdom of God had to offer something far better, far superior to the broken and tarnished life that they were experiencing. And so they wanted to know when that better life would become a reality. The widow in Jesus' parable likewise is dissatisfied with her current situation, and she asks that something be changed. Do you ever wonder when you will see God's kingdom? When you will find a little bit more heaven on earth? Well, Jesus, in answer to the Pharisees' question and ours, responds by telling them that the kingdom of God is among them or within them. It came along and was among them in the person of Christ Himself. And it could only dwell within them through the presence of the Holy Spirit. 
He told them several things. First of all, they had to be discerning about the kingdom and not be led astray by false desires and false teachings. Second, they had to be ready. For it is quite easy to get caught up in the activities and distractions of this life and to miss out on the signs of God's presence. Third, they had to remain faithful, for only those that do so will be taken to heaven. And then finally, in the parable that we heard as our Gospel reading today from Luke 18, Jesus encourages everyone to seek and to receive His kingdom by continuing to pray. There's a reason for this. When we pray, just like when we remember our baptisms or we sing a hymn or we read the liturgy or the Scriptures or we receive the Lord's body and blood in His supper, we are not bound to today's reality. Yes, we still will experience this life's problems and disappointments. Yes, we are still limited in our understanding of God and weak in our faith and weak in our resistance to temptation. Yet, when we pray, our hearts and our thoughts are directed to the future that God has prepared for us. We are then talking with God about our life and our hopes and our dreams here on earth and there in eternity. More importantly, we are talking with God about His hopes and dreams for us. Isn't that a great opportunity? A wonderful privilege? Being able to talk with God about your life, your concerns, your worries, and your joys. And more importantly, about His plans for you. Here's something very important to remember. Communication works best when you are not the only one talking. We also must listen. God has given you two ears and one mouth for a reason. Use them proportionally. The same is true in prayer. It's crucial to the understanding of this parable and to a healthy prayer life. Prayer is not just about us jabbering on to God and spilling out all of our worries and our problems and our desires and muttering amen and then going back to our daily routine unchanged, wondering when God will answer our prayer or wondering why He hasn't yet. Prayer is far more than this. Prayer involves talking to God and then listening to see how God responds. Not with a perceptible voice in our ears, but with a faith-formed heart. This may take time. It could involve allowing more time for daily prayer and talking only a small portion of that time. Use the rest of it to reflect. See what it is that God puts into your prayers. I find that prayer with God, in contrast to prayer that is just to God, is one of the most beneficial and helpful things that I do. Sometimes my prayer time is quiet and filled with solitude and tranquility. Other times I get frustrated with God because I'm frustrated or disgusted with myself or with others. I may even express this frustration out loud. God, why hasn't this problem been fixed? Why is it going on so long? Come on, help me. Fix it already. Have you ever been like that? Repent, O Pharisees, and pastor of Pharisees. Patient prayer also involves testing and even adjusting our prayers. Open up your Bible. 
read it to see if what you are praying about and what you are asking is properly aligned with His Word. I'll bet that in one way or another, you pray as we so often all do. My will be done, Lord, rather than, Father, Thy will be done. Prayer involves allowing God to confront you also, to respond to you through many different, sometimes surprising situations and people. I've discovered that when I've been praying about an issue persistently for a while, like the widow's persistence in our parable, God may use this time and this delay to help me see some other perspectives. He presents some other approaches to address the issue or the people, a way that I might not have considered if he had answered my prayers as promptly as I might have liked initially. Something else often happens, too. He helps me see how I, as one of his believers, could be involved in being part of the answer to the prayers that I have prayed. Have any of you heard of a man named Richard Curtis? Maybe you've seen the wedding, or the movie rather, Four Weddings and a Funeral, or Notting Hill. How about the TV show, Mr. Bean? Well, Curtis wrote the scripts for those. However, one of his other passions in life is using the wealth and the talents and the contacts that God has given him to help people in need. He's one of the founders of the Make Poverty History campaign. He once made a very profound discovery that I think might hit home with you. After praying about poverty for a long time, Curtis finally realized that he might be part of God's answer. After all, God has given us body and soul, eyes, ears, and all of our members, our reason and all of our senses, as the catechism puts it, for his good purposes, right? Perhaps God wants you to do something about what you've been praying for. Instead of sitting on your duff hoping that someone else will do something or waiting for God to impress you with a miracle, you might be the miracle that God has already provided to answer your prayers or those of someone else. That's not to say that God stands back and lets us, lets us be alone to solve all of our own problems. Far from it. But it does mean that we have to remember that God's solutions aren't always dramatic. They aren't always someone else's duty. And they aren't always what we might concoct as a solution ourselves. Now think about your prayers. What have you been praying for recently? How are you allowing God to use you to help your prayers be answered? On which reality do you focus the priorities of your prayers? The reality that you see and feel and are repulsed and rejected and traumatized by? Or the reality that God assures you is yours and you accept with a faithful and trusting heart? When we pray, God has the opportunity to reveal to us how life should be. Being persistent in prayer means that rather than just being focused on what we perceive to be today's reality, God begins to introduce us to His dreams for us and for the world, now and for eternity. Here's another way of looking at it. How many of our prayers are concerned with God's kingdom coming about? How much of your praying is focused on wanting people to be connected to God's kingdom? And how often do you ask God to change you and those with whom you share His kingdom so that His love and His <coughs> gifts are more obvious in you in this congregation, 
and in His church. In his explanation to the Lord's Prayer in the small catechism, Martin Luther wrote on this very point. He states there the very real truth that God doesn't need our prayers to make His kingdom come. Rather, we pray this because we hope and we trust that God's kingdom will come to us. And this may take time. Anyone who has experienced a change by God knows that. Occasionally, we'll have someone join the St. Paul congregation through adult confirmation. And from time to time, this may also involve him or her being baptized. Sometimes we might think, oh, how wonderful. Look at how God has used us. I'm often surprised, though I probably shouldn't be, to find out that perhaps for many years prior to this miracle taking place, the Holy Spirit has been touching this new believer through many others. Some of them may have been praying for this person the whole time. So keep on praying for people, for those that don't yet believe, and for those who have, once, who have been part of the church once but have now fallen away. Take every opportunity to patiently reveal God to them in the same way that God has been revealed to you. Not in pillars of cloud and fire. Not in the falling down of fortified cities' walls. Not in lightning from on high consuming altar and sacrifice. But through His Scriptures. In His revelation of who He is and what He has done for all. Also be patient in allowing God to work in you. God can work quickly or slowly. Immediately or not for years and years. Sometimes the Holy Spirit does it instantly. Other times God is patient with us and He helps us through the process. There's one final point that we should look at in relation to today's Gospel reading. That is in the area of justice. Now justice is an important issue. And it can also take time to come to fruition. Nelson Mandela spent 27 years in prison awaiting justice, not only for himself, but for the people of his nation as well. Eventually it came about because of his perseverance and that of many others. People have been exonerated from death row after years and years too. As Christians, we do seek earthly justice, not just for ourselves, but even more so for others. Justice on earth is something God can use us to bring about, providing a small and temporary glimpse of His infinite and eternal mercy and love. Now this earthly justice isn't the same as the coming of His kingdom like the liberation theology crowd teaches, but it is an important aspect of how He governs His creation. If we are going to be involved in praying for and bringing about justice, we should understand a little of what God means by justice. Listen to Isaiah chapter 1. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Encourage the oppressed. Defend the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. Now I have a problem with many social activists, even when I agree with their cause. For a long time I wasn't sure why. From that passage from Isaiah, however, I realize that it's not their causes that bother me, it's their approaches. Too often they seem more focused on punishing the wrongdoers than they are on fixing the problem or helping those who have been wronged. But in the following verse in Isaiah, 
God reveals a different way of solving our main problem. He wipes out the stain of our sin and abates the punishment that we deserve for them, turning them from the scarlet red of our blood guilt to the pure white of snow or clean wool. The just suffer for the unjust. The righteous die for the sinful. Robes get whitened by blood. Life is achieved through death. In today's Gospel reading, the widow who was wronged never gave up seeking justice for herself from an unjust and uncaring judge. She didn't seek to harm her adversary, but only to receive what was beneficial. Jesus wants us to know this from the parable. God is not like this unjust judge who had no intention of helping the widow. God promises you better justice, real justice. He will fix the great wrongs of your life, all the wrongs caused by your great enemies, the devil and the world, and even the wrong inflicted upon your soul by your greatest enemy, your own sinful flesh. His justice is not the sort of justice that is truly fair, though. The Lord has dealt with all the wrong in your life by removing your wrongness and its well-deserved punishment and replacing it with Christ's righteousness and Christ's suffering. We haven't yet fully seen the effects of God's work for us and in us, but we will. God promises that you will be welcomed into heaven. He promises that He has a place prepared for you. He assures you that you will be brought to a place where nothing perishes, spoils, or fades. Jesus has already paid the penalty and won the victory over everything that would prevent you from receiving this great joy from God. His kingdom come. His will be done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.